Good evening, church. Glad that you're uh, tuning in for another Wednesday night during the COVID season. Please take care of yourselves. Please be careful. Uh, remember to pray for uh, our church, our community, our state, our nation, and our world, especially for those suffering from this. We have some in the church that have it and they're sick, and so we need you to pray for them. Remember our Christian brothers and sisters that are suffering around the world, our missionaries, our doctors, front, first responders, uh, our military. Um, and so let's start with prayer and then we'll get into our scripture tonight. Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you for how you work in our lives, how gracious you are to us. And I just ask that you'll protect our church body and our church family and our extended families. And Father, that uh, you'll uh, use this time for us to reflect on you, to draw closer to you, Father, that in this COVID season, my prayers always be that you be glorified. You stop it so that they can't deny that you're the one that stopped it. And Lord, also that you would bring revival as people realize they're not in control and that they are helpless in a lot of ways. And so, Father, let them lean on you for help and let them come to know Jesus and send a worldwide revival. And don't skip the United States and don't skip Arkansas and don't skip our church, Father. But we, we would pray, uh, Holy Spirit, that you just pour out a blessing upon us and that blessing be to come to know Jesus in a greater way. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight, I, I wanted to look at something that uh, should be relevant to all of us, I, I believe. It's out of Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 8, and it's about boldness, okay? I call it the three C's of boldness, and um, the reason I do that is because I talk to, to several people as a pastor, and we talk about witnessing, we talk about sharing our faith, and sometimes it's because we don't know how, but most of the time... Um, it's not because people are ashamed of Jesus or because they don't love Jesus, but of all the reasons for not witnessing that I hear, they all boil down to one common denominator, and that is fear. Uh, it might be fear if I don't know what to say, or fear if I did something wrong, or uh, fear that I could cause somebody to reject Christ and, and miss their opportunity to go to heaven. Uh, fear. Fear keeps us a lot of times from telling uh, others about Jesus. Uh, fear of rejection, fear of offending folks, fear of having somebody slam the door in our face, or fear even from our own family saying, I remember you and how you acted um, when we were growing up. And, and that may all be true, but if you felt that way in the past or feel that way now, this message is specifically for you. It is for me. God has to remind me not to be afraid. He is with me. You see, Christ's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, empowers us for bold witnessing. The Holy Spirit empowers us for bold witnessing. And so I wanted to look at, at Acts chapter 4 briefly and then Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 4, we find the miracle of the lame man being healed. Uh, Peter and John are arrested. They're told not to speak anymore in Jesus' name. They say they have to speak. There's 5,000 saved. Many of the priests are saved. They're told don't, don't speak in his name anymore by the Sanhedrin. And so it says uh, in Acts chapter 4, in, in, in Acts chapter 4, beginning verse 25, it says, Who by the mouth of your servant David has said, Why do the nations rage? 
why the people brought vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, the first C of having boldness uh, to share our faith is this. It's choosing boldness. It says they prayed. But, you know, after the threats against the very men, by the very men who had crucified the Lord, the religious circle who had the power, uh, the authorities that they represented, they didn't whimper, they didn't wail, uh, they didn't walk out, they didn't ask for relief, they didn't ask for deliverance. They chose to pray for boldness. And a lot of times in our daily lives, as we walk, we have to ask for God's wisdom. We have to ask for a filling of the Holy Spirit. We have to make sure we're reading God's Word to know His will and follow it and obey it, but we also need to pray for boldness. Boldness doesn't mean that we run haphazardly over people. Boldness doesn't mean rushing in where the Holy Spirit doesn't want us to rush in. Boldness simply means when we feel the tug of the Holy Spirit, when we feel Him convict our hearts that this person needs to hear the gospel, we pray for that boldness so we'll have it on the day that we need it. They chose not to quit, not to back up, not to be silent, but to be bold. I don't know. I'm not a prophet. I believe that the time is coming uh, for Christians to be bold. I have a feeling that for the first time in our real history, the United States, people are going to be persecuted for being Christians. I don't fear that. I worry sometimes about my grandchildren or my children. But I don't really fear for them either. God can take care of them far better than I can. But it will make us stronger as churches, more relevant as churches, because even in the midst of any kind of persecution, the church with boldness grows, becomes strong, becomes serious. There's not going to be these people who just lay out and only come to God when there's an emergency. We're going to have to depend on the Lord a lot more than we do today. But the prayer they prayed was to choose boldness. Secondly, they relied on, or point B under that, is the providence of the Lord. They asked for signs and wonders. Now, I'm not big on signs and wonders. I think a lot of the gifts that they had there were sign gifts. They were draw people. But you need to understand something. They were not gifts to exalt a man or a person to exalt Peter or Paul or John or the other apostles. They were gifts to magnify Jesus Christ in the eyes of people. And these miracles and these wonders, these signs, always pointed to Jesus. 
And God, in his providence, in his watch care, granted that prayer. God uh, had them heal this man so that Jesus would be glorified and people would be saved. And they were. And as Peter and John uh, are confronted by the Sanhedrin, they reply or they rely on God's providence. We don't know if it's better for us to obey God. Or we know that it's better for us to obey God than man. But you decide what we should do. And they didn't back up in the midst of the uh, persecution. Okay? We need to ask that in his providence, he would arrange those divine meetings between the people that we know, the people that need to hear about Jesus, and he would give us boldness. And there's different people that come into our lives at different times, different stages, that may never come into contact with me or Brother Galen or one of the deacons, but they come in contact with you and they're waiting for a word and the Holy Spirit opens the door. But it's in God's care. It's in God's hands. It's during His time when He calls them and draws them. Are we going to step up and be the witnesses that we're supposed to be? Because see, Jesus said very clearly, nobody came to him unless the Father first draws them. The Father reveals himself. They know something's wrong. They've got to have a conviction of sin, of an emptiness, of a need inside them. And we can tell them what that need is. And if we don't, there could be false cults, false teachers, uh, the devil's false things of the world. That he'll say, if you'll just try this or that. And they find out that that's empty. And oftentimes, and I'm going to say this, they come to church and find out it's empty. Because what they hear about Jesus is not what they see lived out in the world. And our walk needs to match our talk. And that's the best way to have a witness. We live for Jesus in front of them and they notice that one's different. That one has something real. There's a joy there I cannot explain with what they're going through. And I need that for my life. There's a peace there. The Bible calls it the peace that passes understanding. The Bible says that God comforts us in all our afflictions that we may be able to comfort others with the same comfort we were given. In other words, uh, when I was a young, young man, uh, my mom had a, a bout with cancer. It wasn't... Uh, a bad type of cancer, but it, it was cancer, and they had to cut it off of her face, and it was rather large, all right? But the doctor had to send off her test to see if it was a melanoma or just a, a type of skin cancer or, or what it was. And it was very serious as we were waiting for the results, and I can remember uh, being old enough to have my quiet time and, and uh, being young enough to climb up the tree beside the garage. It was a separate garage from the house. And climbing up to the top where nobody could bother me, where I could see the world, where I could magnify God uh, with the sun setting, the clouds, and the colors, and, and praising His name, and asking specifically that if He'd heal my mom, then I'd do whatever He wanted. And I meant that prayer. But it was a time to get serious. It was a time to correct my spiritual walk. It was a time to get to where I needed to be with God. And we need to do that. And it comes as we pray, as we study, and we rely on God's providence. And shortly after that, one of my friends who came from a non-Christian home, I was able to witness to, and he became a Christian. After he started coming to church, and I was going to his house and my house, <clears throat> his parents 
uh, began to be friends with my mom and my dad was lost but they uh, came to church and uh, the man had been saved as a a young person, about 13 or 14, but never been baptized. And he was baptized, and his wife accepted Christ was baptized. Now, that's not saying it was us that did that. They were saying it was the Holy Spirit, and God placed us in their lives at that moment, at that time, so that they would know him. He does the same thing for you and me. Then there's the providing in answer to their prayer. God provides these outer and inner evidence of his presence. It says, after they prayed these things, that the place where they were assembled, the whole group was shaken. Earthquake. Uh, we, we would call that in pastor terms, it was a moving experience. I hope you like that one. Not really funny, but a moving experience. The place was shaken. But then the inner aspect of God's presence, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It was another feeling. It wasn't a second blessing or something like that. But do we understand that on a daily basis, we need to be filled and anointed with the Spirit of God so that the Spirit of God can direct our paths? It's sort of like the young German girl wrote in her diary and she, she went off to boarding school. That was a time when a lot of kids, and I still do today, they go off to boarding school during the semesters that they have school and they might get to come home at, at Christmas or that Christmas break or, or you know during the summer, they're home. But in her diary she wrote that she was so afraid she had planned on meeting all these wonderful Christian people at her school and as far as she could tell, she was the only one out of all the people she met, out of the hundreds of girls at that boarding school, not one of them spoke of Christ. Not one of them acted like they knew Christ. Not one of them seemed to be a Christian. And she was so afraid. She was bashful by nature. And she said, I just can't witness to them. It's too hard. And that was dated. And in a couple more weeks, after other entries in her little journal, her parents found this later as she grew up and moved on. It said, I'm the only one Jesus has here. It doesn't matter how afraid I am, I have to tell them about Jesus. And she began to, and it really sort of turned that school towards Christ as it just spread from one person to another person because this person that got saved had these friends and they shared Christ and this person that had friends shared Christ and they began to meet together and have Bible studies and they began to pray for others that were lost and God honored those prayers. And the sign was that it started with one small girl who was brave enough to share her testimony how Jesus had saved her. We need to realize that oftentimes we're the only one for Jesus, whether it be at school, at work, at home, in our neighborhoods. And if we don't share Jesus, nobody else is going to in this world. The number one thing the devil wants to do is stop that witness. So, choosing boldness. Have we done that? And then we go to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, and we see continuing boldness. Continuing boldness. It says in Acts chapter 8, Now Saul was consenting to his death. That's Stephen's death when he was stoned. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. 
As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Everywhere preaching the word. In other words, they were selling, sharing their testimony that Jesus was the only way to be saved, that Jesus was the Messiah, that through him you could have right relationship to God Almighty, that he was God. And so the continuing boldness. See, they had a problem that arose. After that first persecution, it didn't stop the apostles. So Satan had another round of it and stirred up Paul. It was fierce. More persecution says he made havoc of the churches. Havoc is a Greek word that means uh, destruction. It means to uproot. It's, it's a picture of a wild pig, a wild boar, going into a garden and rooting everything up and destroying whether it was vines or whether it was uh, tomatoes, I don't know what all they had there, rooting around and killing the olive trees, different things of that nature. In our day, it'd be tearing up the squash, the tomatoes, and the okra. But that happens, and we know it happens. That's the picture. He was just wild in a frenzy about it. Okay, and that was their problem. Well, we need to realize that Satan will do anything to keep us silent. He lets us have a bad day. He lets us react in the wrong way. He uh, tempts us to do things we shouldn't do. Uh, he tries to find our weaknesses and, and exploit them. We need to realize that. But the preaching that they said here is not done by the apostles. Did you notice that? It's not by those called to preach. It's not done by those that were deacons. It said everyone who was scattered as they went shared Jesus. They preached the gospel. Every time you share Jesus, you're sharing in the Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Well, I don't know the Word that well. If you know John 3.16 or John 3.16-18, through 18, you have enough to witness to somebody because you can tell them from Scripture how God drew you, how God saved you. Nobody can take that experience away from you. If you don't have that experience, you probably need to be saved. Do we understand that? And it was done by everyone. And it was sort of like Satan kicked the fire and coals went everywhere. But rather than dying down and getting cold, they started uh, flames in the dry brush and the leaves and the grass. And the gospel is spreading and people are being saved everywhere. And that's what happens when God gets a hold of a church body and starts convicting them about the need for bold witnessing. It sort of goes like this. What gets us excited? What are we excited about? What do we really get excited about? You know, is it the Razorbacks? Is it our kids or grandkids? Is it golf or fishing or hunting or uh, frisbee? Uh, golf, frisbee, I don't, I, it's not the right word. Um, is it a great sale? My wife really gets excited when she gets something that was normally X amount of dollars and she gets it for 80 or 90% off. She is happy. All right, and she tells other people about it. Is it, is it going down uh, to watch them on the dirt track race cars or build cars? Uh, is it uh, learning how to cook something new and it's just perfect? See, all of us have things we get excited about and we'll tell other people about. Look at these fish I caught. Look at this 
deer I got. Look at this turkey. Look at, look at, I shot this on the golf course. Hey, I got, I got this playing Dungeons and Dragons. Some of you are looking at me funny about now. All right. But Galen's about to bust out laughing. But you know, there are things that get us excited, but those are the things that God wants to use in our lives for us to witness to others. I played with a guy, I only played with him a couple of times because when he got on the golf course, he became a beast. You followed every rule, and you should. But if he made a bad shot, he might throw his golf club into a creek. If he made a bad shot or a bad putt, he might say a word that I didn't like. Or he would break his clubs across his knees. It's a wonder his knees weren't broken. And just different things of that nature. And he made it no fun for me. He took the joy out of it. And he said, you're not much of a golfer, are you? I said, no, I just come out here to get a little exercise, fresh air, and have some fun as we walk up and down the things. How can this be fun? I'm so frustrated. I said, well, you care too much about something that doesn't matter in eternity. And it opened up the door, the Spirit did, with that comment. Eternity, what are you talking about? I said, have you prepared for after you die? Well, I don't believe you have anything after your death. I said, why would you think that? And we shared about nature abhors a vacuum, you know, that everything has something. You burn a log, you have something left over. You have the gas, you have the ash. You have, there's always something. Why do you think this thing will be different about human beings? And, and he began to think. And, and over the course of the next two or three weeks when I played with him, because that's about all I played with him, I'd like to say he came to Christ, but he at least presented with the gospel to where he thought differently. He quit cussing in front of me in that time. But I just couldn't handle the anger over something I thought didn't matter. And we need to ask, do those things rev us up to share Jesus? There's nothing that humbles my heart and gives me goosebumps and tingles as watching God lead someone to salvation and watch Him change a life in front of our very eyes. Because it's not me, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit working. It's God doing the work. Because if I can save them, somebody else can unsave them. But when God saves them, they're saved forever. The psalm says the saints of the Lord are saved forever. So we have choosing boldness, continuing boldness. And the third thing is we have the characterizing boldness. Now, by that, what does that mean? When you read Acts chapter 8 and you keep going, you didn't uh, keep going, uh, and starting in verse 5 and going all the way to verse 40, it says that then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now listen to me. The Samaritans, the Jewish people hated the Samaritans, but Christ took the hate away. And he went to the Samaritans where nobody else would go. He went where Christ wasn't preached, where Christ had preached to a few. But he went to those cities and, and seen the miracles he did because God granted him that. He shared Christ and the whole multitude were being saved. Said unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. Many were parasites, the lame were healed. There was great joy in that city. There's a sorcerer that gets saved. And then he wants the gift of the Holy Spirit and offers money. And, and that's his sin. And... And he's rebuked for that. But then in the middle of that, the angel of the Lord in verse 26 spoke to Philip saying, Arise, go toward the south along the road which leads down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. In other words, he leaves a thriving city 
full of people where a great revival is buzzing. He goes out to the boondocks. This road going down there was nothing but desert. It was deserted. And then as he arose and went, a man from Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, and had charge over all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship. He was a, he was a Jewish proselyte. He believed in the one true God. And as he's reading, uh, <clears throat> Philip runs up and here's what he's reading and says, do you understand? He said, how can I know somebody else be? And so, so he stops and picks Philip up and they go on. He picks up a hitchhiker. Okay. And Philip begins there where he's reading and leads him to Jesus. And then they come up to a pool of water, which is not... Normal in the desert. It must have just rained. And he says, what's to prevent me from being baptized? And Peter said, if you've believed in your heart the Lord Jesus and you accept him as the Savior, you can be baptized. And he says, that very time they got out of the chariot, he baptized him. The guy comes up out of the water rejoicing and the Holy Spirit says, whisk him off. It means he just translated him somewhere else. And then we hear of Philip again, all the way over in Acts 21.8, when it says, Paul is traveling, says, we went to the house of Philip, the evangelist. So what are the characterizations of, uh, of boldness? According to Philip, he goes where he's supposed to go. When you hear the Holy Spirit saying, go here, find this person here, go seek out this person, that's what we're supposed to do. Secondly, it didn't matter who they were. This guy was rich. This guy was from Ethiopia. That means he's a black man. This guy is a man of authority. He goes there. He's a eunuch. Peter doesn't care. Or Philip doesn't care. He'd been in Samaria, those that were hated. Those were totally different from what he'd been brought up for as a Jewish man. But he went there. So you go wherever you want. doesn't matter who you're supposed to go to. And it says he's called the evangelist. Now, it doesn't say he had the gift of evangelism. He's called the evangelist because everywhere he goes, he shares Jesus. He had a heart for the lost. He remembered when he was saved. He remembered when he was set aside as a deacon. He remembered how the Holy Spirit was working and he surrendered his life. And that's another characterization of, of sharing is you surrender. You surrender my feelings, my time, my gifts to the Holy Spirit and he uses it. That was Philip. He was characterized for boldness. Wherever he went, he told about Jesus. Whomever he could tell, he told about Jesus. Whenever it was time, he told about Jesus. Do we do that? We need to. Then there was Peter. When you see Peter in Acts 4, he stands up the very man who killed Jesus. The man who denied Christ because of his fear that he would be crucified. The man who, who Jesus had to reinstate as an apostle. The man who asked him three times, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? This is the guy who stands toe-to-toe. -to -toe. I just see them angry and, and spitting and hollering and, and Peter standing there calmly and he says, you crucified the Lord of glory. But we are his witnesses that he rose from the dead and we have to speak the things which you've seen and heard. That Peter. He went... From fear to faith. Do we need that? So we have to get over our fear and have faith that God wants to use us to reach lost people. We have to get over our belief that somebody else will do it. I had somebody tell me one time, you know, we were talking about it in a group, and, and he said, Preacher, that's what we pay you for. 
I said, really? And we had a little discussion there in the group. And he got a little uncomfortable before it was over as we explained the scripture. I'm not the only one. The deacons aren't the only ones. Uh, Brother Galen's not the only one. Brother Ron's not the only one. We're all called to be his witnesses. When he said, you shall be my witnesses, he wasn't just talking to the apostles. He was talking to the whole group that had followed him. We're a follower of Christ. Our job is to be a witness and we need to do it boldly. See, we need to ask that. I'm afraid some of us are like some of the folks who are throwing lines on the eastern seaboard. You can go down there on a summer day and you can see people uh, just lined up casting and casting. And if you take time to talk to one of them, You'll find out something. Those folks don't care anything about catching. They have this competition to see who can throw bait and tackle the furthest. Who can hold the world record. I watched that on TV and thought, that is the silliest thing I've ever done. If I'm going fishing, I want some fish. For the catch and release guys, that's great for you. If I'm going fishing, I want something to eat when I take it home. And that's okay for me. But do you understand what they're doing? Think about it. They've got the big gear to catch the sea fish. They've got the heavy new tackle. They've got everything right. They can throw it forever out there where the fish are and they reel it in as fast as they can to throw it again as if they go further because they don't care about catching fish. Do we understand that? What does that really mean? They have in Ripley's, believe it or not, they had a guy on there who's one of those national champions at, at throwing it the furthest and he had never in his life caught a fish. I don't think you call that a fisherman. I, I think you call that something else. I call it silly. But if that's your hobby, that's your hobby. But you see, I'm afraid that a lot of us as Christians fit into that care category. We have all the equipment. We have all the training. We have all the knowledge. We have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and we don't even cast our bait out because we're afraid of catching something. Do we understand that? But do we understand that God promised his believers that as we go, and that meant as you go and make disciples, as you share the gospel, he would be with us always, even to the end of the age. So I have to get over fear. I have to rely on the Holy Spirit. I have to walk correctly and live correctly. I have to choose boldness. I have to continue in boldness. My life needs to be characterized by that. And even as a pastor, after all these years, when I start witnessing to somebody that I don't know because I feel that's what the Holy Spirit has me there for, my heart comes up to here. My mouth gets dry. There's a tingling. My voice cracks a little bit. But I know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm not responsible for the results. I'm responsible for sharing the seed of the gospel. The Holy Spirit does the work. And then I pray for that person if they don't accept Christ there. So the devil won't steal away the seed. And he'll come to fruition and make a harvest. An abundant harvest. That's what we're supposed to do. So I hope maybe this has encouraged you. That you too can be bold. That you don't have to be outspoken. That you don't have to be an orator. That you don't have to be somebody who likes to be in front of people. But just in the quietness of the way you live, you can lead people to Christ.
My mother was a wonderful Christian woman. What I am today, I owe to her as a Christian. My earliest memories are her sitting there on the couch, holding my baby sister Pam, who is five years younger than me, and reading us the Bible. And sometimes she would read a whole book. And then I remember the book of Revelation, how strange it was to me and how it stirred my heart that it was a little scary. And Why would she read that? But she wanted us to know that the gospel was for us also at a young age. She made very sure that for all my friends and my sister's friends, that when they come over to the house, that she got them cornered and shared Jesus. She wanted us to have Christian friends, and she realized that wasn't going to happen unless she made sure they heard the gospel. Not all of them accepted Christ, but many did. And she did that out of selfish reasons, but it didn't matter. People were still being saved. What about you? Your child's friends? Do they know your family's a Christian family? Your neighbors? Your family members that are lost? Your co-workers? The clerk that you always visit with that checks you out at the grocery store because we tend to be creatures of habit and go at the same time and meet the same people at the grocery stores. The bankers. The people you have fun with. Your, your parents that, that your kid plays t-ball with or football with or whatever sport your child might be involved in or, or maybe it's the choir programs or the band. Do they know? If they don't, we need boldness to tell them. So let's pray for it. Have a good evening, and we'll see you next time, church. Thank you for watching. Bye now.